I wanted to have an excuse to have complete freedom to do what I love. The fact that it wasn't necessarily a responsible thing to do. There was definitely something special about 2022. In terms of a really white knuckle chase, the black headed gull, William, Kaya, uh, Luke Razzo, and uh, Andy and I were all in Peely. And sure enough, William spots the black headed gull flying out uh, and it circled around, landed on like a bit of floating wood out in the river. It's August 16th, 2023, and this is episode nine of the Big Year podcast. Sorry, I have to butt in here, but it's actually episode 10. Robert was wrong, and well, let's get back to the show. And it's my birthday! Yes, as I record this, I am now 63 years old. I may have the body of a 50-year-old, but my brain seems to be going on about 80, maybe 81 or 82 by now, but that's okay. I can still function well enough to go birding, and really, at this point in my life, that is the most important thing. You see, I began birding in 2012, which means I wasted the first 51 years of my life. It was big year birding that made me want to become a birder in the first place. This year's show is a little tribute to other big year birders, most of whom did not waste precious years of their life waiting to discover their true passion. How was I to know, for me, it was going to be birding? I was busy doing magic, emulating Harry Houdini as an escape artist, going on cycling trips, doing photography, and spending 40 years as video coordinator for the Toronto Blue Jays baseball club, and eventually living my childhood dream of running onto the field when the Blue Jays won the World Series in 1992. Then came the movie The Big Year, and I was hooked on birding like nothing I had ever been hooked on before, and... Believe me, I have been hooked on a lot of things in my life. And there are as many different ways of birding as there are birders. True, I just love sometimes taking a walk with my binoculars and cameras and seeing whatever birds I see. And most birders are like that. It's really the purest form of birding. Well, maybe if you don't bring the camera along. Then there are those chasers, the birders who travel near and far day or night to see the latest rare bird, whether it's local or all the way across the country. Then there are the big year birders. They are the obsessives who commit themselves to an entire year of birding. We have the ABA area birders who go all out, all across North America from the dry tortugas in Florida to the Attu Islands in Alaska, from Northern Canada, all the way down to Southern California. Here in Ontario, which is bigger than even the state of Texas, yes, sorry Texas, we have quite the flock of big ear birders. Now in 2022, this gaggle of young upstart birders who haven't wasted most of their lives looking for their passion in all the wrong places, like me, went all out and three of them, William Conzi, Ezra Campanelli and Kaya Jasper all broke the Ontario Big Year record. Ezra, along with last week's guest, William Conzi, tied for second place just behind Kaya. And today, many, many months after we spoke, I think last winter actually, or early in the spring, Ezra is finally here to talk about his 2022 adventures in big year birding. I ran into Ezra more times than I can even remember in more birding hotspots and at more rare bird chases than I can even count. Over the course of the year, we got to know each other, and I enjoyed following his attempt to break the record and maybe even catch Kaya down the stretch. 
Ezra, along with the other young and very knowledgeable Ontario birders, also helped me from time to time get some tough birds whenever and wherever they showed up in the province. Their reports helped me with such tough birds as cave swallows and a lot of the seabirds that pass through Ontario during fall migration. So, please uh, join me, because I'm coming apart, along with Ezra, for part four of my five-part series featuring those crazy kids of the 2022 Ontario Big A Year. I'd like to welcome my special guest on today's episode. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Tell us how you got into this big year. There's a few different reasons, but essentially, just before COVID, when I was on my way back from a birding trip with some friends, coming back from Texas, I it just dawned upon me that Ontario Big Year is something that I really wanted to set my mind to while I was still young and had the freedom and energy to do so. I'm, I've always been like really successful, so that was one of the reasons. But essentially, I really just wanted to do it because I wanted to have an excuse to have complete freedom to do what I love, which is where I have to kind of, you know, move on with the next chapters of my life. So, yeah. Well, we'll get into the next chapter, if you like, after, but we're going to go back to the beginning and find out why you became a birder and what some of your influences were early in your birding career. I grew up in Hamilton, and my parents aren't birders per se, but they're very nature-oriented people. We never owned a car, so we would spend a lot of time walking and biking places, and Obviously, birds are something that are kind of omnipresent wherever you are, especially mm. in nature. And uh, the Hamilton and Halton region has a great network of trails that my parents would take us on hikes on and so forth. Um, so my brother and I just kind of noticed the birds and expressed some interest. And my parents were very supportive. They bought us a field guide. And then we would kind of test each other back and forth to learn all the local species. But we also, my parents had a family friend, uh, Jeff Gilbreth. He's not super big in the birding scene anymore, but uh, he used to be a big birder in a Hamilton area, and he kind of encouraged us to go down that path. Uh, but to be honest, I kind of not lost the bug, but I was into it in a very, yeah, I, I would only bird once in a while in the kind of like middle childhood, early teenage years part of my life, mm-hmm. but I really got back into it in an me personally I have been diagnosed with OCD and hyperactive disorder which I don't call a disorder because I call it a, a benefit when it comes to birding but did you have any of that in your life or was the obsessiveness just a choice um, definitely not diagnosed but I do have an inkling I do have like ADD or ADHD tendencies which may lead to yeah the, uh, the kind of obsessive um, aspect of it I at least that's how I feel well, it certainly does feel to other people that are sort of in your birding orbit that aren't birders like you are an obsessive. How did family members take your decision to do a full year of basically missing potentially family events, birthdays, and even potentially Christmas? Yeah, my immediate family were very supportive. I think they recognized that I recognized that the... <laughs> The fact that it wasn't necessarily a responsible thing to do in the traditional sense of the word. I knew that it would be very financially draining and 
possibly stressful, mm-hmm. and you know, like I'm kind of putting my whole life on pause. But yeah, they they were very supportive, and so were my friends. And I was just very upfront with everyone and said like, for this year alone, birds have to take the priority. If I'm at Christmas dinner and something shows up, you know the drill. Did you have something like that happen at all during the year where you had to just get up and leave? Yeah, I did leave during Easter family dinner for a purple sandpiper of all things, which isn't necessarily the most uncommon species of bird, but I know that previous record holder Jeremy Benset missed it on his big year, so I didn't want to take any chances. Yes, there's potentially the chance of missing something that maybe you might see three or four of during the course of the fall migration season. Uh, it's not worth taking that chance. So I I understand completely why you would. And for me, I would have taken any opportunity to get up from a family dinner to run out and chase a bird. That was, that was. I actually was very torn. I'm a um, a pretty extroverted person and I enjoy my family get-togethers, but I I felt really bad. I just kind of made an announcement and said, sorry, I gotta go. I'm glad you got it because that's uh, always a, a little bit embarrassing when you rush off and leave the family to get a bird and then you come home and say you didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I did see, I just happened to just see others later in the year, but that's how it goes. Uh, yeah, you just you just never know when one bird is going to be the only time you see it. There's a lot of times where people will tell you, but, you know, it's only one bird. But how many of those one birds did you only see once during the entire year? Absolutely. Yeah, and birds that you sometimes think you're going to bump into a whole bunch, you only bump into one. And birds that you think you might see just once you encounter a number of times. For example, I only saw common gallinule once this year somehow. Um, of course, if I had been looking for more of them, I would have got them easily, but that's just how the way it goes sometimes. Well, I think that that is the case during a big year. It, once you get a bird like a common gallinule, you're not going to be, well, I think I'll go back to the swamp and look for some more today because you're off on some other chase. Exactly. That's the way it's you're, you're just very, very numbers oriented in a way, but you try to do it in a way where you don't forget about the, the value of each bird you see, regardless mm-hmm. of how important it is for your list. One of the things that uh, happens to a lot of people during their big year, they start the big year thinking this is just going to be so much fun, but there gets to be a point where it's not that much fun anymore, that it's just, I have to drive eight hours to see this bird and then I have to drive eight hours home and hope that I can get to the next bird. Did you feel that you had a lot of that during the course of the year? Yeah, definitely. I did experience that. Like as awesome as Point Keeley is, of course, I spent most of my spring at Point Keeley. <laughs> there came a point where I wasn't always keen to get up, you know, at first light and go to the tip, especially on mornings where the weather wasn't um, too cooperative. Another thing that really was not, um, did not bring me a lot of joy was having to chase birds that I've seen a number of times in Ontario and abroad. Like, for example, I don't, I'm not too excited to drive all the way to Amherst Island for Glossy Ibis, but that's a four hour trip that I had to make despite the fact, despite that fact. So. Yeah, that's a bird that I missed a couple of times early in the year and uh, was 
very grateful that one showed up in Durham region in the fall because that would have just been a uh, a sad miss <laughs> to yeah. because I knew so many people had seen it. But hey, like I bet uh, you're always going to have a few misses like that. Uh, I arguably missed a much easier species than that, which I can touch on now, or we might get to it later. But and so you've traveled a lot to see birds, but. Had you traveled everywhere in Ontario, or was there one place that you were hoping to get to that you, without a big year, you never would have visited? I have traveled pretty extensively in Ontario. I had been to, I think, 49 of the 50 counties before, but um, some of those northern districts are really big, and there are places in those districts or the times of year where that I had visited those. For example, I had driven through Rainy River pretty briefly in uh, September of uh, 2021, but it was great to be there at the peak of breeding season and get to see all the, you know, Western specialty singing. Um, mm -hmm. Manitoulin Island was the county that I hadn't kicked off yet, and I ended up going there, I want to say, three times, four times maybe. So yeah, that's a really cool place. I really wanted to get up to the Hudson Bay coast, mm -hmm. offer, like, the northern coast of Ontario, um, to get some of those uh, specialty breeding birds, willow ptarmigan, that's longspur, etc. But I was able to get willow ptarmigan early in the year um, a little bit further south, so that would have been a lot of money and a very difficult trip to justify for one species, Miss Longford. So, but in the future, I hope to get up to the Hudson Bay Coast. I had to make that decision late in the year when I had not yet got to Nunavut, which I had been every province and every territory, and it was a very expensive trip. And I knew I wasn't going to see new bird. I just have to, at that point, I have to say, just have to go there another time. You can't spend all that money for no bird. <laughs> just... no, for sure. Definitely, uh, yeah, a lot less cost effective when you're talking about a Canada scale big year. I actually, maybe it was on the 29th or 31st of September, there was two counties I hadn't birded in the year. That was Prince Edward and Halliburton. And I was in Ottawa driving back the south so i made a couple little detours and just uh got a few species in each county so i could say bird in every uh, ontario county in 2022 well, that, that's pretty good i know why you hadn't been to prince edward county because the one bird that we were all hoping would show up did not i know yeah that was a bit of a bummer but i'm surprised that the chuckles would have been I mean, it what three, four years in a row? I and this is yeah. the first year in a long time that it wasn't seen or heard. I heard people say that there were multiple, like maybe two or three. So I, I thought at least one of them might be back, but no, no joy. It was also common that Eider reported there in June, but it was only a single observer and didn't stick around. Apparently, that would have been a good one for Ontario. So at the end of the year, you came within two of the win winning, but what really is important is all, a bunch of you broke the, I mean, just blew through the big year record for Ontario. How satisfying was that? Yeah, I was very pleased with uh, 
of how I did, and I was proud of uh, Kaya and William and the other birders uh, who did an Ontario big year. We, I guess, we just picked a really good year. The last few years, you know, there's the the COVID boom of birders. That phenomenon that they talk about definitely has led to mm-hmm. more sightings of rare birds happening. But there was definitely something special about 2022. I think there was a lot of lingering rarities that showed up in the fall of 21 that moved into the new year. So, like, right off the bat, um, I think by the 8th of January, I want to say we had eight OBRC reviewable species, so, like, eight significant rare birds. But, yeah, it would have been nice to come out on top, of course, but Kaya very much deserved it. Like, he really didn't make mistakes. His his year was just, like, a a technical master class. So, (laughs) I definitely was at peace with uh, how it all fell into place at the end of the year, uh, well before the end of the year. Mm. Yeah. Well, once once uh, you pass 350, that's pretty special. When did you and Kaya start to realize that you're in a bit of a competition? Was it a day one thing or was it uh, sometime after migration? I think that was always pretty clear because right from the beginning of the year, we were both very determined to just go all out. Mm-hmm. Right away, Kaya did get a couple of birds that I unfortunately uh, met, uh, most notably deer falcon, but I knew I had another chance of that um, the following winter. So, yeah, we, I would always be playing the number game in my head. I knew that if a few things fell right, I could definitely swing it. It never happened, of course, but Kaya committed to like an all-out big year well before the year started. I had been planning it for a bit longer than he had. So, you know, given his, the caliber of his birding, I had no doubt that we'd be neck and neck for most of the year. And what was your preparation for the big year? I mean, your knowledge of birds is most important, but what other preparations did you make ahead of time? Yeah, like knowledge of birds definitely does help, but I would actually argue that just like networking and uh, really knowing the ecology of the birds in, in Ontario helps even more. So yeah, just given the fact that I've been like hyperactive in the birding community mm. for a couple of years, and I am naturally a pretty like outgoing person, I did make a lot of friends across the province. So it was really helpful. For example, if I'm going to look for peace in Ottawa tomorrow, then I can hit up any of my Ottawa contacts and ask them what the best strategy is to look for geese. Um, and that sort of uh, application is very helpful in, in all corners of the province. And then in terms of just like knowing how birds work in the province beyond just like your identification skills, like when this bird is coming through, when I should really, when's the latest window I can get this migrant, mm-hmm. uh, what are all the tricks to get tricky species, that's very important. So it was like a lot of publicity. I tried to put my name out there on social media and make sure everyone knew I was in the big year, because like, mm-hmm. if you're in the big year, you might get a few, don't get, get the people trying to help. 
I certainly found that out with a number of people on the East Coast who every time someone spotted the Stellar Sea Eagle, I would get five messages and emails <laughs> saying, did you see it's back? And, and I chased it four times before I finally got it in November. So that one would have been the heartbreak bird of the year if I had not seen it. Honestly, I, didn't, I, may, I must have seen it, but I didn't realize you got it. So big congrats. Uh, that was a tough bird to chase. For sure. I chased it twice in Nova Scotia and once in Newfoundland. Missed it those three times. Plus, I had chased it in Quebec the first time. And I was chasing a bird just outside Montreal, which I had already driven eight and a half hours to get to. And then I hear that it's in New Brunswick and I, I checked the GPS. Oh, it's only seven hours away. I can do that. But then you realize, wait a second, I have 17 hours to drive home now. <laughs> but I didn't think about that until after I saw the bird. And it would have been a long, lonely drive if I had not seen it. So that, that was definitely my biggest thrill of the year. But did you have a heartbreak bird that you didn't see? Yeah, a couple. So the most regularly occurring bird that I wasn't able to catch up with was Northern Gothawk. And that one's totally on me. I knew the strategy for Gothawk, but if I'm being perfectly honest, I got a bit lazy when the time came to capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I should have targeted them in their breeding grounds uh, in the summer, but I knew that would that could take quite a bit of, of effort with like driving around. Mm -hmm. So I figured I'd wait till the fall. I put it off to the fall when they're a bit more concentrated concentrated in migration. But whatever way that worked out, like there was always a more important birding thing that I had to do when it was good winds for Gothoff. Mm -hmm. Like on the north shore of Lake Erie or Lake Ontario, like uh, it would be good Jaeger watching at Van Wagner's Beach or I'd have to chase something. So I spent the last few days of the big year desperately searching for wintering birds in eastern Ontario, but to no avail. So anyway, uh, that one was uh, a bit of a letdown. But... And what was the most thrilling bird you saw this year? The one where you had lots of people around and you all could congratulate yourself and be very excited about that one sighting? In terms of a really white knuckle chase, which are some of the most exciting birds for me, the black-headed gull that Ryan Griffiths found on the Ottawa River in May. William, Kaya, uh, Luke Razzo, and uh, Andy and I were all in Peely. We heard about this bird. Um, here's where kind of like knowing the pattern of things really comes in handy. We know that birds that show up near the falls usually will trickle out onto Lake Ontario in the evening at a place and they'll all fly by on the Niagara River. And there's a really good place to watch all the Bonaparte skulls mm -hmm. and stuff fly by. So some of the other folks were understandably not too because they knew it was a bit of a gamble uh, to drive all the way up there to try for that. But I convinced them that we should make the drive. And we got there. We bought for skull, search a trickle path. And sure enough, William spot the black-headed gull flying out. Uh, and it circled around, landed on like a bit of floating wood out in the river. But that one felt really good because we drove a long way for a bird that was, yeah, definitely, no, we did not uh, have... We didn't think we had a great chance of getting it, mm -hmm. but we knew there was a chance. That's, to me, that's sometimes the most exciting 
uh, sighting. I had a couple of sightings of rare birds and difficult birds to get where I was completely by myself. You end up having any kind of experience where it's like, wow, this is so good and there's nobody here with me. Yeah, we chased a couple of birds in Northern Ontario. So obviously it's not like near a major city center. So um, there's not a constant stream of birders going to see it. Um, they were like feeder birds in the winter spotted towhee and berry thrush. I can't really think of one that was just kind of out in the boonies, uh, but I'm sure there were. They, they do tend to blend into each other. Speaking of white knuckle driving, were, were there times where you were up north or in storms where you just were started questioning your whole life at that, at that point? Definitely. And if you would survive the night. Yeah, that spotted towhee was in Terrace Bay. And we had just actually seen the Glaucus wind go in Brantford. And then William and Ty and I set out to northwestern Ontario. And we were planning to just kind of like drive through the night to get there. The homeowner who was hosting the spotted towhee had warned us that there was some bad weather incoming. But we decided to rough it out anyway. And yeah, there was this, we were driving through a pretty dense blizzard for a solid seven hours oh. and yeah definitely we had to go well below the speed limit and we passed a couple transport trucks that were just totally capsized on the side of the road it was it was definitely a little bit questionable but we made it through that happened to me on my way to new brunswick for the sea eagle and it's not just it's not just because you're going from quebec all the way up to new brunswick and they aren't real roads <laughs> and <laughs> And you still get transport trucks just whizzing by you. And it's just unbelievable. And then, of course, you see one in the ditch and you think, well, I, I'm sure the next driver will realize what happened to that guy. But no, they just keep going on as well yeah. because they, they all think they're not going to be the one. I can only imagine, like, Ontario is big and bad enough, but the of the country... Gosh, yeah. What was the coldest day you birded in that you were as bundled up as you could possibly be and still cold? I don't know the specific coldest day, but there was a big stretch that all kind of blended together when we were... The furthest north we got was out of Wapiscat. A couple of us split off from a group of other birders that were heading over to Quebec. Mm -hmm. And we took the winter road from Fraserdale to Moosonee, and it goes all the way up through Fort Albany to Adelopiscat on the west side of James Bay. So that road only exists in the winter. But we were seeking um, willow ptarmigan, which we, which, yeah, we, we really, we did, in an eruption year, it might have been easy, but this year it was a total gamble. We were mm. kind of like pioneering that uh, as far as that goes but yeah some of those days were very brutally cold um definitely well below negative 30 and we also tented it and slept in our cars oh my god we had negative 40 sleeping bags but there's your face has to be exposed so that you can breathe <laughs> some uncomfortable night but we did get willow ptarmigan which i think I neglected to say this when you asked me this question, but Willow Carmian was probably the highlight bird just because of how, yeah, how far we had to go and yeah, how we were managed to locate it ourselves basically on 
on a gamble. Those are the best birds. So you've done your big year. You're now, what are you doing now this year? So the main goal is just to, uh, I definitely accrued a bit of debt because uh, as you know, big years are expensive. So I'm, yeah, I'm just hustling to take money. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm currently working in wealth, just in a zero labor position full time. So five days a week, that's what I'm doing. It's not exactly what I would describe as fulfilling work, but I got to bounce back somehow. Mm -hmm. Hopefully in the summer, I will get a uh, consulting job, uh, something in field work um, that will be a bit more fun. I'm just trying to kind of get my life back in order and maintain healthy sleeping patterns. Mm -hmm. I've been birding a little bit. I think I've been birding three times this year, and we're recording this, what, just at the beginning of February. So not a lot of birding, but I'll definitely pick it back up uh, in the warmer months. For me, that was sort of the same thing. It's like, I just... This was outdoors 365 consecutive days in some of the worst weather I've ever experienced. I think I'm going to not go out on the cold days. I'll go out on the nice days. I've, I've birded, I'd say, half a dozen times this year, but that's like for the first time in five years, I haven't birded every day. So it feels really neglectful almost. <laughs> like I almost feel like I'm cheating myself. Uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's a foreign lifestyle after, yeah, as you say, just birding nonstop for an entire year. But yeah, it, it's nice to just bird when you feel like birding. It, it does feel a little more relaxed, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. What uh, are you hoping in terms of a career that is connected to conservation and birding and field work? Yeah, so I I have, with the last two summers, I've done consulting jobs. I've done bird surveys and amphibian surveys in northern Ontario. So that's something I'm definitely interested in. We'll see if I require a bit more schooling to actually make that, be able to have that as a stable career. But I have a couple other options up my sleeve for, for seeing where things are headed and I'll see how this year goes. Well, excellent. And do you have any advice for any future Ontario big year birders, especially the, the younger ones that are sort of followed you guys all year, but aren't quite at the point where they can do that? What would you suggest yeah. for their preparation? Well, I certainly encountered car problems this year that wound up being very expensive. So a very reliable car is totally worth it. It's a invaluable investment when it comes to a big year because Ontario is a deceptively massive province. Mm -hmm. You will be doing a lot of driving. Yeah, just definitely networking, as I mentioned, is, is very important. Try to connect with as many birders from as many corners of the province as you can and uh, foster good relationships with those people. Yeah, try to do that in the years or months leading up to your big year. Yeah, you can't really do enough planning. Like, it is possible to kind of wing a big year and you may wind up being very successful, but make sure every bird that is even, that even poses a small possibility of uh, being missed, make sure you know all the tricks to get that bird because you might find yourself in a situation where it just slips by you and you have to cast it in the last minute of its window in the province or something like that. So yeah, the more planning, the better. Those are the things that
come to mind. Also, don't forget about just like taking care of your mental health and like making the most of relaxation when you have time. Did you sort of schedule rest days for yourself in that regard? Or are you advising people because you didn't? Schedule, no. I mean, making any firm plans is pretty difficult during a big year because a bird could upset it at any moment. But I definitely, yeah, I definitely tried to engage in non-birding related um, leisure activities while and hoped a bird wouldn't show up sometimes. Yeah, make the most of the summer for sure because that's kind of a quiet spell. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ezra. I know it was fun for us to get to bird together here and there during the course of the year, chasing birds around Point Pelee. And uh, a lot of the times I was actually following your report to get to a bird that I needed in in Pelee. So I always appreciated that because the bunch of you that were going hard after Ontario birds made it a little easier for me to grab birds while I was in Ontario. Although sometimes I was across the country when a bird like a scissor tail flycatcher showed up and was there was no chance for me to get that. The marsh sandpiper, however, I was lucky to have been able to get back on time for that. Yeah, I think uh, we can both agree, aside from maybe the stellar seagull that you saw, marsh sandpiper was probably the rarest bird either of us saw in uh, the country this year. But yeah. and, and probably even rarer than the sea eagle because the sea eagle has been around for a couple of years now. Yeah. That that sandpiper was here and gone and may yeah. never show up again, kind of like the yellow-browed warbler. You get it, and if you can count it, fantastic. But if you miss it, it's all gone forever probably. But that's the excitement of birding. And that's what I love about it. I don't mind as much the chases where I miss something anymore because I kind of learned that your mental health, as you were talking about, can take a big hit if you get too upset and stress too much about the birds you miss. Yeah, definitely on a big year, you have to learn to just not let it get to you. But that does take some, uh, some hard experiences to really learn. But yeah, it was always fun, Rob, bumping into you in the field. I was always excited to hear what the update was on your big year and following you on social media. I was kind of living vicariously through you and your all your excursions to the west and east and north. It was a lot of fun and I was glad to share it. It made it even more fun for me because I had you guys uh, to follow during the course of the year too. So that was a nice way to continue keeping myself enthused during some of the downtimes for me where I was like, oh, not another trip. <laughs> what was the longest uh, drive you did? Well, the longest kind of straight drive we did was probably to Rainy River, which is, how long is that drive? Like 22 hours, maybe? Yeah, something like that. I did it over three days in 2021. Yeah, we, we did spend the night in a couple of places in the car, but pretty much just gunned it there. But yeah, we had to go back and forth to Ottawa so many times. So those kind of feel like the most taxing drives, even though they're less than half the length of a Rainy River trip. But just because you, you've been on that road half a dozen times already, it's like, okay, the scenery is not uh, thrilling me anymore. <laughs> it certainly feels longer also when you miss the bird. I was up in Cornwall in June and a neotropic cormorant showed up in Amherstburg which is like you know on Detroit River and I went all the way from Cornwall in the east to Amherstburg and missed the bird 
and then went back a few days later and missed it again. I finally got one, the one in uh, Kingston. Kingston that I think you also got. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got your presentation to do. Good luck with that. I hope it goes well, and I hope some of what we talked about is at the top of your head for that now. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. That was fun, and once again, I would really like to thank Ezra for his time and insight into doing an Ontario Big Year. But as I record this, a roseate spoonbill, yes, a roseate spoonbill has been seen in Brant County by local birder Sarah Lamond. So I'm going to keep this brief and grab my binoculars and camera and head out for the chase. Grant County keeps delivering great rare bird sightings, and perhaps by the time you've listened to this, I will have already seen it. Next time, in the final installment of my series on birders of the 2022 big year, I'll be talking to Kaya Jasper, the winner and all-time record holder in a single year with 359 species. Until then, may the birds be with you, and may the rarities land at your feet. Now, time to chase.